Hello once again. This is uh, another episode of PFL Pod for Life. Uh, quarantine for Life. Apparently not quite, um, but it certainly feels that way. Uh, I'm your host, David Ubbin. My co-host, Joe Rexroad, here with me. Uh, Joe, uh, we're, we're finished with the NFL draft, of course. Tennessee, uh, no one drafted last year. No one even invited to the Combine last year. Um, not the case this year. Uh, Daryl Taylor goes in the second round, 48th overall to the Seahawks. Uh, in Seattle, Jawan Jennings, lower than I thought he would. Um, but, uh, of course, the measurables at the Combine, I'm sure, were an issue for a lot of folks. Seventh round, 217th overall to the 49ers. And then Marquez Callaway signs with the Saints as an undrafted free agent. Nigel Warrior signs with the Ravens. Dom Wood Anderson, the Seahawks. And then Batuli, we can talk about him a little bit earlier, some, some injury stuff with him. Um, still unsigned uh, as of Monday, uh, but I think that will change probably. I think if he was healthy, he, he likely would have been a late-round uh, draft pick, uh, most likely. In, in that group, uh, who, who do you like uh, in terms of finding a great spot and, and guys that, that, that could stick and, and have a big impact? Well, I, I hate to be obvious, but I, I certainly like Taylor going where he did. You know, this is sort of relevant to another team in this state too, David, because, of course, Jadavion Clowney is, uh, you know, out there on the market, played with the Seahawks last year. The Seahawks actually spent their first two picks on guys who could play off the edge. So it kind of speaks to maybe moving on. And I think it's, uh, I mean, look, that's a winning place. You've got, you know, I think a really good coach some good veterans there and a place where you can come in and, and you can win and, and you kind of, you know, you know, you're going to, I guess, kind of, you know, learn things the right way and have a chance at, at team success. And he's going to have a chance to really matter to that defense. So, and I, I also like where Jennings landed from the same, you know, perspective in terms of, you know, obviously we're talking about the Super Bowl loser here and the Niners, a team that's going to be knocking on the door in the next few years. Now, that, when you look at seventh round picks, you, you look at opportunity, of course. Um, it's not like it's a it's a cinch that he's going to make that team. But <laughs> I feel until someone cuts Joan Jennings, like I have to see it to believe it. And I think you saw in some of the stuff that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said about him, they've got a good feel for who he is. And uh I think that's I, I frankly I think that's a steal for the Niners and I think it's a great situation for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you know I, I'm not super sold on Taylor in the NFL. Um, obviously, really physically gifted. Um, that's how you end up in the second round. Guy that's you know six three. He's gained some weight. He's up to like two seventy. He runs like he's two thirty. Um, but uh, you know I think we saw some questions about his his technique and and being able to to. Uh, to continually be disruptive against good players, um, you know, in, in college and, and needing to expand his repertoire of moves and, and a lot of those things. So I, and I think some of those things matter a lot more in the NFL. Um, and, and I think, too, his propensity to kind of disappear over, over uh, long stretches of time in, in the college game worried me about him at the next level. But I, I'm with you on Jennings. I think Jennings um, – Again, the measurables are not there, um, but every coach that I've ever talked to at Jennings will tell you that he jumps off beyond the measurables. And I think a lot of people want to believe that. You hear that a lot about the the so-called underdog stories. 
Um, but I think there's a level of toughness. I mean, how many more tackles do you need to see Jawan Jennings break uh, or, you know, block or guys you need to see him bully on the field to see he's really going to fit in with, with what the uh, the 49ers do? I mean, uh, he loves to block on the outside. That's going to be a huge asset for him. I think he'll be more than willing to play special teams. Um, I, I love that spot for him. And again, all these guys, Seahawks, 49ers, Saints, Ravens, competent franchises which matters as that matters as much as anything i mean you look at all those teams they're probably not going to have new coaches anytime soon um, which helps um, guys that drafted you and see something in you um and, and that can really help um in terms of sticking on a roster and and, and carving out a career um so out of those guys i'm gonna i'm gonna pick jennings uh, I, th- I think he's the only guy that I feel really good about um, long term to be, you know, super productive and have a huge career. I think Taylor, obviously, you know, mathematically probably the best odds of that group, the most physically gifted of that group. But, you know, again, some of the concerns that, that I talked about, we'll, we'll see um, if he can continue to develop and and uh, and hit on some of those. But obviously a, a physical specimen. Um, any other takeaways from Tennessee? You know, uh, Batuli, uh, we, we should probably get to him. Some knee issues, apparently. Um, he did have groin surgery, he told me, um, recently. He's supposed to be back up in about a month. Uh, tough timing for that. Um, but I think there's some, you know, with all of the um, you know COVID-19 stuff and, and teams having a little bit iffy on medicals, not being able to, not every team was able to get all their doctors, especially when you're talking about a late-round prospect like Petuli. I think under normal circumstances, he would at least be signed, probably drafted. Um, but I think he'll get a shot, you know, whatever mini camp looks like, whenever that happens, if that happens, I think he'll he'll get a shot. Um, but anything else you, you took away from, from what this draft sort of means for Tennessee? Well, I do think with Batuli, he's another guy fully healthy. He's a guy who, in a different way from Jennings, but kind of similar to Jennings, you know, he, he's going to overcome some of the, some of the physical limitations and impress someone. Like someone's going to be like, man, I, I got to have that guy on my team, and maybe it's maybe it's I got to have that guy on my practice squad. But I think he's gonna. I think he's a guy who is going to get paid if he can be healthy. Uh, to to be involved in the National Football League because again the intangibles they do ma- they do matter a lot um, as far as from a Tennessee perspective the rest of the draft you know I I think it went Callaway was the one guy that I thought might sneak in late I I, I still I really like Callaway as a player I think he's got a shot in this league and hey look if we may as well just start looking at that 2021 mock, uh, David, because you know there's it's never too early. I, I we do need our coworker Dane Brugler to like go, <laughs> you know, put himself in an oxygen chamber for a month, and you know, uh, but of course he came right out with that mock, and he's got, of course, Trey Smith. Uh, I think going 17. Uh, I believe that's right. Going in a prominent spot, so it's an interesting thing to look for now. And I think I think he was dead on. I mean. The medicals keep coming back uh, in a positive way. He's a first-round player. He's first-round talent. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'll probably write about this later. But, you know, you look at next year's draft, obviously Trey Smith will be the headliner of that group. Um, but we'll see what happens with Cade Mays. Well, he'll have a decision to make, would be my bet. Uh, Emmett Gooden, I think he'll be a probably a middle-round guy. Both of those corners will probably have some decisions to make. I think I'll expect both those guys to stick around another year. But you never know. Um, you know, those decisions are 
everyone is independent. Um, some guys have family considerations. Some guys have kids, all those kind of things, and they might want to leave early. Um, we'll see. Um, but but there's some, there's a lot more pros on this roster than there were not that long ago. Um, talk about the program in general. You know, I, I I try to do exit interviews with everybody who leaves the program heading into the draft last week. Uh, we had a, a trio. I was able to talk to Don Wood Anderson and, and Daniel Batuli and, and Marquez Callaway. I thought Callaway was the most interesting. Um, we'll get into some of that in a little bit. Uh, he was awesome. What what takeaways did you have away from from what those guys had to say about uh, about the program and, and Jeremy Pruitt? Well, I love these exit interviews, um, and I think I, I think there's something interesting in all of them. But I mean, yeah, man, if you're gonna drop a Jer Bear. On Jeremy Pruitt, you know, <laughs> you're probably going to lead the way <laughs> in terms of the exit interviews. And I, you tell me, like I would not have necessarily picked Callaway as a guy to um, be this frank about things. You know, it was an awesome interview in particular about Jeremy Pruitt and just about. You know, all the stuff, just the idea of, like, just, you know, stop messing around and shut up, you know? <laughs> Some of the stuff that, you I know. Think he was more I, frank I, than that. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, he was. But, you know, even just, uh, you know, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, Callaway, not, Callaway swearing. I was like, no kidding. All right, man, cut it loose a little bit. But, you know, interesting, too, to me, uh, and I'm, you know, Basically, to paraphrase, you know, some of the those early guys, and you you hear this a lot. You, a tough coach comes into a program, you know, a, a coach who's who's big on discipline and physicality, a saving guy, you know, comes into a program, and you hear a lot about, you know, some of those older guys are like, yeah, I don't know if I'm liking this. So he kind of spoke to what some other guys have referred to in different ways, which is sort of that transition, and that's the thing. I mean, if if the guys who he recruits are signed up for this from day one, that's when you see a program improve on the field. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I always like talking to the older guys um, about Butch. They always have interesting things. I, I think obviously Butch is, is pretty universally reviled among Tennessee fans. <laughs> it is what it is. Like, he, you know, he did his best. I think certainly there's some fair criticisms about you know, his, his competency to run a program, big picture. But ultimately, you know, the players um, largely liked him. I think there were varying levels of respect for him. But I thought it was interesting, you know, Callaway talking about something I hadn't really thought about is that the offensive guys were, were probably a lot closer to him because he spent a lot more time. You know, you know, I'm out of practice every time Tennessee lets us, which isn't very often, but, you know, uh, Jeremy spends a lot of time with the corners. You know, I'm sure the corners – feel a lot closer to him um, than maybe the receivers do. And that's an adjustment for everybody. And um, I thought that was pretty interesting, but I think too, you know, you look at, um, uh, you look at, at, at what this program has become. I mean, I, I think ultimately there's no question that it's, it's, uh, um, you know, not super flashy, not a real aesthetically pleasing brand of football, but a more solid foundation. I think they're, they're a more physical team um, than they were. Obviously, a bigger team, uh, and it, you know, you you hear too. Uh, Callaway talking about the transition was super interesting about how little the players know about this process and the the guys they hire. They're just, you know, they're not really taken into account. I I always think it'd be interesting to have 
uh, players on, uh, you know, a, a sort of a decision-making council to see kind of what they think and maybe have them be a part of the interview process. Maybe that's just wishful thinking, but I think that'd be interesting. But anyway, I, it's, it's, um, it is, you know, him talking about, hey, I didn't know who this guy was. And, you know, his buddy is kind of telling him, no, he's like a Bama guy. And he did this, he did that. And he kind of puts together this idea. And, and it was interesting that, you know, two years later, he's like, yeah, he's pretty much what I thought he was going to be. You know, all those yeah. things that, all those things that he expected were, were kind of true. And, um, but yeah, I, I appreciate his frankness and, and, uh, and, and talking about all those things and, and talking about, you know, Jeremy coming in, I, I think you hear stuff about sort of the two Pruitts, the kind of, um, um, you know, the, the sort of, I guess aloof would be a good word, kind of um, dull and sometimes with the media and when the cameras are on. And then you sort of see the, the kind of fieriness in the, in the speeches that they promote and the stuff that they put out on social. But then there's the third, you know, the side of him, which is the, you know, the get after guys side that obviously we don't really ever get to see. And I think for players that, that obviously stands out, but um, I've still found it interesting that we are entering into year three of, of covering Jeremy Pruitt and they've really only had one guy that he has signed and has been a a real integral part of the program, leave the program. Um, And that's Gerard Means, uh, the, the, the freshman who transferred at the, I think it was the end of last season. That's pretty good. You know, that's, that's, that's a pretty remarkable um, number um, to be able to keep a lot of guys around. And they haven't really lost anyone that's been super valuable. They obviously lost some depth at middle linebacker last year with some guys that, that are really competent and, and Will Ignon and, and Shannon Reed. Um, but, you know, those guys weren't going to start um, pretty obviously maybe this year. But um, it's the pro. It's an interesting program. I, I think they operate under such a veil of secrecy that any time we get a, a glimpse behind the curtain like, like Callaway offered – I find it super fascinating because we just don't get to see anything. You know, we get to see this kind of weird version of Jeremy Pruitt that's not what his players see. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's not really out there doing tons of interviews. He's not offering a lot of insight into the program. So getting to see some of that stuff, I, I really appreciate it when players open up about those things. Yeah. Now, another thing to keep in mind on things like this is, in general, you know, a guy coming out looking to be in the NFL – does a, a interview with a reporter in general, every single guy in that situation has an agent who, who tells them, do not rip your college coach. Right. So, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that's part, you know, it's just, it's just reality. Like, you know, you don't want to come off, you know, in any way as a malcontent and all this stuff. And, you know, obviously these team interviews are so important and, and blah, blah. So there are times when I think, Maybe guys who don't have a great experience in that situation would, you know, would hold back, be vague. But yeah, everything's fine. See, what I look for, are like, like quotes like this from Callaway, because the, this is real stuff. This isn't a guy like I don't really like Jeremy Pruitt, but I'm gonna you know, give you the company line. This was a guy saying some really interesting, detailed stuff that reflects actual respect. You know, so like whenever I read these things, I think in that way. Like, is this a guy just going along with what he's supposed to say because, you know, basically he's on this massive public job interview, or is he speaking from the heart? And when I read the Callaway interview about Pruitt, I felt very much like it was genuine thoughts about him. 
Yeah, I think so. And you can get a sense of it. I mean, you know, some guys don't want to talk. Some guys uh, are a little tentative and they're just kind of like, ah, whatever. Sometimes you catch a guy on his phone at the right time. He's like, I got a few minutes or whatever. And then sometimes it takes some, it takes some, uh, I don't know, encouragement, I suppose, to get folks to talk. I I would say uh, uh, Craig Fitzgerald falls under that group. Uh, (laughs) Right. I was in contact with, you know, a bunch of the assistants who left and, and, you know, uh, only David Johnson wanted to uh, sit down for, for that interview um, but it's I, I really enjoy these. They're they're you never know what guys are gonna say. Like you just you really don't. And those are the best interviews because like you know I'm not I don't really want them to say anything specific. I want to leave it specifically open for them to be heard and to uh, talk about the program and being inside of it and get a look at that because we don't really get to see that and and it's you know, there's there's very little opportunity um to do that and so i'm, I'm appreciative uh appreciative anytime a guy wants to sit down after he leaves and and talk about um what it's like being inside this program and, and especially the guys that you know were didn't come to play for jeremy pruitt and and experienced two very different versions of tennessee and some highs in 2016 um that that's that special start um, and obviously the, the, the Georgia game and, and all those things and the lows of 2017 and kind of the early stages of a rebuild that, that looks to be picking up steam. Uh, did you catch that segue, Joe? Are you ready for this? That Very was, nice. Listen, we're getting good at this. We're getting good. Speaking of, Tennessee um, doing quite well on the virtual recruiting trail. Uh, just this weekend, they had Dylan Brooks, a five-star edge rusher from – Roanoke, Alabama, that is right outside of Auburn's uh, backyard. And Kamar Wilcoxon from IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Dylan Brooks, uh, so he he comes from a family of Auburn guys. He's a top 25 guy. He's been a huge priority for Tennessee in the 2021 class. I mean, for the entirety of of their time. For the 2021s, um, a a pretty talented top 25 national recruit. Uh, Tennessee was in the mix there with uh, Auburn. Obviously, he's got an Auburn family. Uh, LSU was recruiting him hard. Uh, Alabama wanted him. He didn't seem to be very uh, interested in Alabama for whatever reason. Maybe that's the Auburn in him. I'm not sure. Uh, but Tennessee gets a commitment from him. Um, and then Kamar Wilcoxon, guy that had been committed to Florida on, uh, I believe, two separate occasions. Um, these are some big boy battles that Tennessee has won. Um, and, and granted, we've still got eight, what, seven and a half months till early signing period. If there is an early signing period this year, which I suspect it will be, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, but Tennessee's got a whole lot of these guys, but for the moment, you've got a lot of momentum and there could be some more guys, some more dominoes that fall in the, in the days and weeks to come. But what, 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 what did you take away from Tennessee grabbing, you know, Brooks, again, a top 25 national recruit, and Wilcoxon, um, I believe he's somewhere around a top 100 national recruit in that in that uh, vein, a four-star guy. Uh, what did you think of these? Yeah, well, see, and, and I, I don't mean to be skeptical of Tennessee as a recruiting entity because Tennessee gets big-time recruits and, and highly ranked classes and has, you know, as much might as – most programs, but when you see something like this, I, my first question is now, wait a minute. Was that a committable offer to, you know, whatever big program, especially if it's an Alabama or a Clemson on the other side at this point, like you said, it sounds like 
Brooks, you know, he's more, kind of like more in the Auburn vein in the first place. Uh, but then when you think about beating out, if it's high priority, a guy ranked that high, you know, top 20, 25 kind of guy, priority for Auburn, priority for LSU, and you win that battle, yeah, that's that's a big deal. I mean, that is a big deal. And, and potentially, and, you, and you're always hesitant with this, but potentially, you know, an early impact on the field too. I mean, that's the idea. Um, if you can recruit at this level, it means you've got guys going early in a lot of cases. I mean, you, we look at LSU and what they just did in the draft, and they've got guys coming in, some of whom are expected to matter right away. And, I mean, this, this is the level of recruit that you are pursuing if you're having guys leave early and having guys you know, matter early, especially when you're more competitive as the balls are getting. So that's a big-time recruit. You follow it up with with another, you know, significant commitment. I mean, that's uh, – it's a, I, you know, it, it's a great couple days for for Tennessee football to me. Now I know that, uh, like you said, long way to go. Some guys change their minds and have changed their minds, and so you got to keep that in mind before names are signed on paper. But um, that's a that's a really nice few hours for this program. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Wilcox, and you know, after he committed, said, "I'm not taking any visits. He's going to stick around." He. Uh, Florida's the assistant if the director of player personnel uh, posted a Regis Philbin gif uh, toward no one in particular, of course. Uh, is that your final answer? <laughs> uh, Wilcox and retweeted it. Uh, you know, this is this is what it is. Tennessee's been burned by guys in recruiting. Uh, you know, the Jay Hardy situation last year was uh, one that, that Tennessee was uh, not pleased to deal with. And you win some, uh, you lose some. But Tennessee is winning some here. And I think when you look at um, the trajectory of recruiting, momentum really does matter in recruits. If guys see a bunch of guys jumping on, you can start to grab a few guys. And this time last year, Tennessee was slow out of the blocks. Um, you know, you heard a lot of hand-wringing. Oh, we got to get some of these guys. We're falling behind. And then Tennessee uh, – obviously slow out of the blocks on the field as well. That really took them out of the running for a handful of really big guys um, that they were they were aiming for and were not obviously able to get. Um, but when you look at, at, at what they can do right now where they're off to a nice start, you have to wonder if this is a breakthrough class because for them to, to start slow like they did last year, uh, really fight an uphill battle recruiting-wise. Um, and then, of course... Close strong, which is an encouragement for, for Tennessee, but close strong, uh, get a top 10 class. Right now, they're sitting at second in the SEC, seventh in the in the country. That's a pretty big class, and, and they've still obviously got their hand in the cookie jar and a lot of guys. So uh, I'm intrigued to see how this plays out over the next few months. Um, and and I think Tennessee's got a, a really great shot. You know, they're, 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 they're just kind of in the mix with a Bunch of really big guys. I, I, I laid this out at the Athletic um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you can go back and, and look at that. But Dylan Brooks was number two on that list right behind Peyton Page. And for them to, to I say seal the deal, but at least add Dylan Brooks, get him in the boat, um, is, is absolutely huge. Yeah, and then, you know, how much does, when, you, when you're in on guys like that, and, you know, you, so many factors, and I, I always go back and forth on this, but, how much does it matter that in the in the season before the signing day in question that you 
you know, demonstrate, okay, done losing to the Missouris and Vanderbilts, got a Florida, got a Georgia, hung with them, hung with Alabama, whatever it is, you know, demonstrating that there is progress, that you're coming into a place that is soon going to be hanging with those teams and competing for SEC East titles. I think with different guys, it matters to different degrees. But, and of course, this year, I'm asking a question about something we don't know will happen. So uh, you know, so that makes it different in the first place. <laughs> You're right. And, and I, I did mention this in my recruiting roundup, and I tweeted about it over the weekend as well. Just a little note, Dylan Brooks, um, you know, in Auburn's backyard, um, he was not at the Iron Bowl. Um, the last weekend of the season, he was watching Tennessee and Vanderbilt play in a downpour. Um, and then he, he came again, uh, I believe, right before the shutdown. Uh, but I think he's been to campus at Tennessee. I, I don't know the number. I'd have to look it up. A bunch of times. Um, and, and so holding on to him will be huge. There's a lot, uh, a lot of work to do uh, on that front. Um, but that taps into kind of the uncertainty of where they're at. You know, Tennessee, like a lot of schools – has not said a lot, you know. You see the Ray Tanners and some other folks coming out and and being a pretty, um, I don't know, more explicit than others about what they're looking at. That has not been the case with uh, with Phil Fulmer. They've kind of just said, "Hey, we got to do what we got to do." Tennessee right now, I can tell you, is planning optimistically. Um, they're they're planning on playing all twelve games as um, you know as they're sitting at the date right now, that that's, that's kind of their plan. Obviously you've got to work on contingencies, but um, you know, uh, as far as on the record, that's, <laughs> that's kind of where they're at. Um, and, and so when you survey the scene and I think NFL is going to be different than college, what do you see as, as where we're at right now in terms of getting football in the fall? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think the more and more as we as we go down the path of things getting better, which is where we are now, and I hope continues, even with uh, some relaxing of you know of some of the um, you know shelter in place orders and things like that. I, I hope we continue to go in the right direction and that people continue to be careful and you know mindful of of what we're trying to do here. I I really feel probably more and more each week that the professional sports leagues are going to make a run at you know getting something together without fans. Um, I, I think the NHL has has really made some advances here in terms of identifying kind of some neutral arenas and things like that. Um, there, we've heard different things on baseball and and the NBA. I of any of it, I feel pretty confident that the NFL is going to be hard pressed to be denied in terms of having a television product this fall. I, you know, of course I could be wrong. I mean, we're still in the, this whole discussion is like, you know, no one knows anything still. Right. But I feel like the NFL is going to, uh, there's a good chance that they're going to have, fanless games this fall as as television inventory and it's just so much easier for an NFL team to do that than a college football team. I mean college football to me is just the complication of these are not laborers. These are not people with large salaries you can just say, "Hey, uh, let's move you here for a couple months of quarantine and you can do your job and focus on football because that's all that matters in your life." No, they're college students. 
And so it's just so there's so many more complications that go with it. And of course, on the other side of that, as as we've talked about, as has been written uh, at the Athletic, we've done a lot of really good pieces about this. I mean, it, this is of course the foundation of of college athletics economics. And so I do believe sort of in the same way, everything will be exhausted to have college football, but I kind of have a feeling that it might have to be pushed back. Of course, the, again, the problem with that is right now, okay, push it back and then the virus spikes in the winter and then you're pushing it back to when, and then you're butting into people graduating or people who are working out for the NFL. I mean, they're not going to be playing college football and, February, they're working out in Florida, getting ready for the draft, the combine of the draft. Right? I mean, there's a lot of complications here. Um, so that was a long way, David, for me to say I don't know a darn thing. <laughs> well, I think it, I, I do think it's it's probably as simple as if you have students on campus, I think there's going to be college football. Now, I'm sitting here in Knoxville today. Um, you know, our two governors, as a, as somebody who's only lived in Tennessee, or our two mayors, as somebody who's only lived in Tennessee for a couple years, the two, the two mayors thing, I need somebody to explain this to me, why there's a county mayor and a city mayor, because at least in situations like this, it feels like it's complicating everything. If you're listening or if, uh, Joe, if you have some insight into this, because I have not lived in another state (laughs) or this has been the thing, it's, it's very odd to me. But anyway, you had the two mayors of Knox County and Knoxville today, you know, sort of outline their plan to reopen things in May 1st. And I think how this goes, which obviously right now, no one knows. I think we'll have a heavy influence. If we're sitting here in the middle of June and, you know, Knoxville has been whatever the opposite of a hot zone has been, um, which has not been the case in Nashville. There's been very few cases here. I think only four deaths total. And, and they, I think they've kept the total cases. Um, it, it's been really low. There hasn't been a spike. We haven't seen the healthcare system get overloaded. Um, we've actually seen the opposite in some ways of, of where it's been um, less busy. If they can maintain that through the summer, then sure, I think Tennessee would be a lot more apt to, to open up campuses and, and sort of see how that goes. Because um, I think you're going to see them kind of tiptoeing in. Um, but again, if people are are not acting responsibly as they sort of start to, to open things back up and you see a spike and we're sitting here in June and uh, it's getting bad, I, I don't know that there's any way you're going to see college football because I think this does come down to you know, what can they do with the students? Because I, I, when when the college athletics, um, you know, commissioners met with Mike Pence and talked to him and, and basically said, hey, if there's no students on campus, we're not going to have games. I don't think that that's a, a line they're going to cross. Uh, I think they – I believe them when they say that. Um, and so, you know, again, we'll see how this plays out. And I think how this rollout – that you've seen in 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 Knoxville and and you know other places slowly but surely, um, I think we're going to start seeing next week how this plays out um, across the country. If people are smart and responsible and still limiting their interactions and doing the things that they need to do to to slow the spread, I, I think your your odds of of having college football are, are much higher. Yeah, and you mentioned across the country. I mean, another thing here, of course, is. Maybe it's great in Knoxville, and so, okay, Tennessee, back to school, everything's fine, but someone on the schedule, that's not the case. So then how does that work, right? I mean, you, I mean there's just there's so many moving parts to this. But, yeah, I mean, I just think overall it's uh, – there are some encouraging things right now, 
on this front. I think that what we've been doing is working. I think there's no question about that. And, and we're getting our arms, our collective arms around this. And so keep doing it and just hope for the best. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, it's still April. And so it's hard for me to imagine no football in the fall, but, but also I can't imagine an, a sporting event with people packed into stands. I don't think there's any way we see that until there's a vaccine, until the population is vaccinated. I don't see how you could possibly do that. And there's some, actually, there was some encouraging news on, on the vaccine front today too. But again, it takes so long. You have to test for so long these vaccines when you're talking about potential you know, effects of a vaccine, you know, unintended consequences. I mean, that, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a long process, no matter how you want to cut it. So yeah, we're not packing people together for things until, until the population can be vaccinated. But I, I do think that the even early on, it seemed like that whole idea of fanless sports seemed a little bit, I don't know, to me, I don't know, just a little bit just far-fetched, like really? But I think now as you go through life like this, it's like, well, you know, it is doable. It's it's not easy. It's it's complicated. It is doable, and I think it's I think a lot. Anyone who's involved in this economically would tell you it's worth doing. But yeah, college athletics is just a much more difficult thing. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I believe the record for the fastest vaccine was like four years for the mumps, and that that twelve to yeah that twelve to eighteen months number that you're seeing bandied about is basically based upon. The fact that, A, you have, I mean, this is obviously priority number one for, like, everyone who does this kind of work in on the planet. And then, of course, you know, there's some talk about they're going to maybe have to do some things that in normal times, you know, in terms of testing and, and test uh, or trial uh, groups, those kind of things, that in normal times would probably be considered unethical. But, but because of the pressing matter of all this and so many people are, are dying across the globe that, that they may have to. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, again. Uh, not an epidemiologist, um, but um, it, it, this has been as much optimism as 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 I have felt um, during um, most of this time. Um, but part of that could be Joe. Again, the segues. I purchased an air fryer last week. <laughs> and, oh, uh, beautiful! Listen, segue. I'm not willing to bang the life changer gong at this point, but I'm a huge fan. Right now, I've dipped my toe in. Uh, we did some, 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 some shrimp, uh, the other night. Uh, my wife is doing Brussels sprouts tonight. I've heard good things about how it does with roasting vegetables. Uh, I did do some bacon on, on Saturday. I wasn't a huge fan of the air fryer bacon. I had some issues cooking it, um, evenly. I'm probably just going to go with, uh, the oven on that front, but, uh, the options are uh, rather endless. Are you are you team air fryer, Joe? I've been. I have some other friends who also probably in the last year or so have purchased them and swear by them, and and it's on the list. But I cannot say I'm a member of that team yet. Uh, I have dragged my feet. I, I will say <laughs> the funny thing about this: uh, Herb Hand, who is the offensive line coach at Texas, also appeared on Chopped on Food Network. If you're a fan. He is a big air fryer guy, and he legitimately – I was corresponding with him on Twitter the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, about the air fryer. 
And he kind of, he was one of the folks that, uh, you know, uh, fittingly helped push me over the goal line. But we learned today also that he convinced uh, Tom Herman to also purchase an air fryer. So this is, <laughs> we got to get, uh, we got to get on, get on the, get on board for this. Uh, I, I, if you have any recipes, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless, really. And so I am uh, knocking on the door of, of figuring out how the best things to make and the things that I like. Wings is pretty high on the list. My wife, not a huge wings person. So I, that might be a lunch uh, excursion for me personally and then of course the sauce issue I don't really like buffalo sauce so I used to do some other things um, when it comes to uh, the wings but this has been a tough time for the uh, for the fake foodies among us Joe no it has and that's that's one thing that because uh, you know usually we have some good you know food experiences back and forth and, and of course you know, I know people and we and a lot of people are trying to you know, get takeout. But even with that, it's kind of like a lot of the same places on a rotation around us. Um, you know, you know, just not as experimental with like stuff that's actually in Nashville proper. But then for me, like I'm a huge, okay, oh, this recipe looks good. Look up a recipe. Like, oh, I'd like to try just some kind of like pesto chicken thing. So I Google it and... You know, and then there's like four or five ingredients that I need. So I, I'm a big pop out to the store to get a few ingredients for one meal kind of person, you know. And obviously with this, you know, now we're, we're you know, going to the store once a week with a mask on and gloves on and trying to load up and, and you know, going ruefully down the toilet paper aisle and seeing nothing there. And, uh, you know, the, all, all the things that that everyone's doing. So, um, it, it's, it makes it, I actually need to do a better job, David, of planning. Cause it's always like, okay, what's the huge list. Okay. Make sure I get all this, you know, main stuff, you know, the buttermilk, blah, blah, blah. But I need to do a better job of mapping out one or two of those meals for the big trip. But I'm so in the mindset of I do the big trips and then I'll pop out here and grab, oh yeah, I uh, need a you know, clove of garlic, no, whatever it may be, you know, and so, so I have been, so basically that's a long way of telling you that I've been a pretty boring cook. I mean, my kids mostly just like when I make them my grilled cheeses anyway, which, but I, you know, like I do like a little brisket grilled cheese, a little bacon grilled cheese. I mean, I'm a grilled cheese factory, but I do like to be a little bit more experimental in that. Yeah. I think even as, um, you know, as stuff starts opening up, I, I can't imagine I'll be sitting down in a restaurant too often probably not for quite some time but uh you know whenever the time comes whenever we get to uh go back and hit the road for the athletic you know i'll, I'll be i don't know when that's going to be um but i will be excited because that's when you know going to new places trying new restaurants going to different parts of the country uh i mean when i went out to the bay area to do that uh, henry to'o to'o story man that was a great food trip that was like an elite food trip that was Fantastic. I, I still think about some of those meals. And so, uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta, I gotta get back on that horse. I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back out uh, and do some stories, but we got some fun stuff, uh, in the works. Um, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully we can get to those sooner, sooner than later. Um, I, but... I look forward to us going to a restaurant, big hug, eat all kinds of food and like close talking the whole time and you know, sit, sitting in a, even like a, one of those community tables where you sit with a bunch of people you don't know and you're packed in. I mean, I'm, I'm all about it when, 
when uh, we're all vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a, a good time. Well, that will do it for this week's uh, episode. We'll be back soon enough. Uh, Joe, any parting thoughts for the people? I don't know. I don't. I don't have a great one. Just uh, hang in there, like we are. Um, I, I do feel. I, I, I do feel more optimistic uh, about things. And uh, you know, I, I've been really. I will say, at the risk, David, of kissing up to our superiors, I will say that um, I've been so. Uh, you know, they've been so fantastic about encouraging, supporting us, and our company in general. I think we've done a lot of really good stuff. And it, honestly, there. Are a th- this is going to end up being a long thought, David. Um, you know, there's a lot of things about this that haven't been great, but I've been able to, you know, sp- spend some time with my kids that I wouldn't have normally. You try to find the, the bright side of things. And I think from a work perspective, too, there's some stories that we've kind of dug into and some ideas, some creativity that we've tapped into that we wouldn't have if we were just on the run of, up. Oh, here's spring football, up. Oh, here's the NHL playoffs, on and on and on, right? And so I think I've been as a as a reader of the athletic. I've been like, it's been great every day. I am just like, man, I don't have enough time to read all the great stuff that I want to read today. So I, I want to thank the subscribers for hanging with us and signing up because um, we're doing our best. And again, you know, I just think from the top down, our company very proud to be there and appreciative of being there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think too. You know, now is a good time that you know. We have not been that affected by this in terms of like the the average writer on our site. Obviously, it's affected our lives, but it has not affected um, you know our jobs um, in, a, in a wholesale way. And that's because of our subscribers. Um, you guys have supported us and and bought into uh, the athletics vision. And if you're not a subscriber, I'd encourage you to check us out. I, I agree. You know, some of the being able to read the stuff. I, I'm in awe of my colleagues pretty often here. Um, and they're just, yep. We do a lot of great, great work, and I'm I am am humbled to be able to share a masthead with a lot of those folks. And um, but it's the work of the folks inside, and 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 the the support of um, you know our subscribers that have allowed us to kind of weather this. And believe me, I as somebody who's been laid off, uh, you know, before and and lost you know freelance gigs and all kinds of stuff. I've, I've been through the ringer, um, and the fact that, that we have not been able to, to deal with that uh, or not had to deal with that um, has been tr- a tremendous lift to me in this time, and, and that's because of our subscribers and you guys' support and, and you guys buying into to what we've been doing. And, and I think, too, you know, we're not going to rest on our loyals. We'll rest on our laurels. You know, this, um, this company, you know, we want to push the boundaries and do um, big things and things that nobody else is doing, and, and that is – obviously not stopped during this uh pandemic and it's not going to stop um for the history of our uh you know or the future of our company and so thank you guys uh as subscribers um without getting overly sappy um, it really has <laughs> it really has been humbling in this time to 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 not have to you know wake up and be thinking about is today the day i get that call or today the day i get that email i i don't believe that's coming anytime soon and hopefully sports comes back sooner than later um that would help us that help a lot of folks that help a lot of people in the field um 
a lot of people are doing good work and um you know but um I, again thank you guys um as subscribers and listeners and everything you guys do um to to support us um and and you know our whole goal is to to please our subscribers give them things that that nobody else can give them and that is not going to stop anytime soon and that feels like a good place to end this episode joe yep well said buddy well thank you guys for listening thank you guys for tuning in uh this is fun um you know, we'll see you guys again very soon. Um, and we've got some cool projects coming down the pipe. So make sure to check out your uh, athletic app or log on or whatever. Every day there's always uh, interesting stuff going up there. And uh, that will not change without sports. So thank you guys. Mm-hmm.